even for those who are brave enough to ask, a lot of times they don't really get any information. And I think, I mean, I, I don't just think it, I know it. There's data to prove that we don't have enough people who are educated in helping us get through it. Even in medical education, it's been very well documented that a, a large percentage, like 75 or 80% of OBGYN residents don't feel confident coming out of residency to help people get through menopause. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore Supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Growing up, especially in my 20s and teen years, there was very little about entering menopause and midlife that I was looking forward to. And I have a feeling I am not the only one. See, women in our society are taught to dread aging and to dread menopause, and that being miserable is just a normal part of the midlife experience, which I now know is a completely false statement to make. Plus, who wants to live that life? Who wants to turn 52 or 55 and know that they are entering into a miserable existence? for the next 20, 30, 40 plus years. Nobody, right? I prefer to have a mindset of living my best life in menopause filled with wisdom and vitality and grace and really owning those years on my terms with the intentions that I set. Now, yes, it's important to know that we're gonna experience some changes in that transition from perimenopause to menopause. And I break it all down in great detail in my latest book, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution. So if you're looking for a guide, that book is it, go and grab it. And yes, we do wanna to listen to our body. Honestly, the sooner we start listening to our bodies, the better off we are when it comes to our overall health and emotional well-being. And this is especially true as we get older, because as our hormones shift, especially those reproductive hormones, our bodies are going to shift. Our body's needs are going to shift. For instance, we will start to lose muscle mass probably at the beginning of our late 30s. And at that point, in order to maintain that muscle mass, we need to step up the weights and increase our protein intake so that we are continuing to be strong. We continue to support our cardiovascular health and our metabolic health, right? These are the things that we want to consider. And although midlife is really an incredible time to reinvent and experience an incredible new beginning, it's also time to take stock on our emotional, mental, and physical well-being and to make some open changes to our relationships, to our intentions, you know, to whatever, whatever serving us or letting go of what is not serving us, right? It's time that we start to become more vigilant about what really matters to us versus what we can let go of. That's what I love so much about this transition is everything comes into inquiry and we get to really dive in to what we want, who we want to become. And again, 
what is not serving us at this time. Now, I love that part of the conversation. I love of like, what can this transition be for us? How can we step into it with like open eyes and an open heart and an open mind? And that's exactly why I invited Dr. Susan Gilbert to the show to share her amazing expertise on helping thousands of women transition into menopause with so much grace by simply asking those questions and giving them a plethora of tools to pull from as they continue to transition into one of the greatest times of their lives. Now, before I bring her on, which I'm super excited to do so, in case you didn't know, my epic hormone relief summit is happening this month in just a couple weeks. And let me tell you, the takeaways and the wins that you are going to experience are worth registering right this second. I mean, right now, you can just pause the podcast and go register at reliefsummit.com slash podcast. That's how good this event is going to be. Now, if you're struggling and you know your hormones are tied to not feeling your best, which let's be honest, if you're listening to the show, you know your hormones are running the show, right? That is the deal, especially for us women. And you've been looking for some powerful, sustainable solutions to address your hormone-related issues. This very free event is created for you. Like, I made this for you. Now, this summit is the place to be for fast-acting solutions that will actually work for you without wasting your time and your money, especially if you try everything else and you're just feeling lost on what to do next. Now I'm going to have the link in the show notes to grab your free seat plus my bonus guide. I have a sexy bonus guide. It's going to be my 14 hormone loving recipes guide just for registering. And if there's someone in your life right now who you know needs this too, please share it with them. Share it with your bestie, share it with your aunt, share it with your colleague, whoever it may be that you're thinking about right now. Share it with the woman who you sit next to in church um, because this is the type of information that we deserve to have, that we deserve to own, to make the type of changes that are right for our bodies. So again, go to reliefsummit.com slash podcast, register now. I will also have the link in the show notes. All right. Now that you have access to the Hormone Relief Summit, I can't wait to dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Suzanne. But before I do, I want to sing her praises. A diplomat of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Dr. Suzanne Gilberg Lentz, received and is involved in women's empowerment and public education and appears frequently as an expert in women's hormone health and integrative medicine on TV and print and online. She's been on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Morning Show. She's been on CNN News. I mean, she's been all over the place. Now, she is the co-founder of Cedar sinais Medical Center's Green Committee and is deeply committed to the promotion of healing that involves individuals, families, communities, and the the planet. She's also the author of the new book, which we're going to be talking all about today, Menopause Bootcamp, which is coming out in early October, but you can grab it and pre-order it today. Without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Dr. Suzanne, how are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm doing great. And I'm doing great. <laughs> mm, love that. Love that. We're just finishing up the summer, it seems, this weekend. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for your upcoming book, which is the Menopause Boot Camp. Now, I just want to dive into that because when I, you know, I've done a lot of boot camps myself over the years and it really integrated into healing my body, loving my body. Talk to me about like when you were thinking about this book and what you wanted to bring ring to so many women. I don't even know how many millions of women are stepping yeah. into menopause in the next decade, but there's yeah. a lot of us, including 6, myself. 6,000 a day, 6,000 yeah. a day in North America alone. 
It's incredible, which yeah, means, yeah. you know, we really, we really get a step and usher into this new, beautiful phase in life. And so when you were thinking about menopause boot camp, kind of what was on your mind? What, what, like when it came to the title, like, what were you looking to embrace? You know, it's really funny. It's very me. It basically popped into my brain. I'm going to tell you the story. Yes. I was a, a very dear friend of mine who's in this space, educational health, body empowerment space asked me to come to the wing. This is in like 2017 or 2018, which is a, was at the time a women's workspace. And she wanted to interview me. She's 20 years younger than me. She wanted to interview me about menopause. And I was like, hmm, okay. And we had this great conversation. I was very uh, intrigued to see who showed up. It was a very diverse audience in terms of age, experience, race. It was just, it was great. There was even like a mother-daughter pair, the mother and the daughter who was pregnant. And I was like, wow, that says everything. And during that conversation, I realized the intergenerational conversation has been lost. This is so important because here I was doing this work for a very long period of time. I have this background in conventional medicine. I've background in integrative and holistic medicine. I'm very interested in indigenous cultures and plant-based medicine. A lot of times that's why people bring me into a conversation, but that just literally became so obvious in that moment. And I couldn't stop thinking about that for days, Marisa. And I was driving. I can tell you exactly where I was driving. I know exactly where I was. It's that kind of a memory. And just a thought bubble came in. I'm not menopause boot camp. I, it was not a conscious, like it wasn't like, let me think about this. Like it just came to me. And I came home and I talked to my, my partner, my boyfriend, who is a 35 year fitness pro and has been on this journey with me. And I said, I want to do this because the other thing, you know, backing it up was that here, I talk about this all day long and in a five to seven minute encounter, there's only so much I can tell you. And anytime I gave a talk, the hands would be, can you tell me more about bioidenticals? Can you talk about hormones? And I was like, I can't, I need more time. So that was where that grew from Mm. addressing, addressing the need that was out there. People are and were so hungry for that just basic information, support, a safe space to discuss it because it, it feels scary, shameful, anxiety provoking. I don't want to out myself how old I really am, that I'm going to be invisible. You know, this narrative that we are buying. And then, then the other part of it, which is a lot of dismissal. Oh, it's just part of aging. Bye. You know, what? Huh? <laughs> nothing to do. Really? Really? There's nothing to do. That's not true. So, um, that's where that came from. And that has been so fun, gratifying. I've learned so much. I thought that when I started, I was teaching people about the definitions and the solutions to the problems that they faced. And, but what I found was that we are creating community and that has been really powerful. Mm, that is so powerful. So, so powerful being able to create community for women, stepping into this, this wisdom part of our life, really yes. owning who we are becoming. When I, you know, I think about this particular time in our life, when I think about some of the most incredible women doing the biggest things, this is when they're doing it, you know? And yeah. so, you know, I, this whole idea of dismissing, of kind of blowing women off, you know, ignoring symptoms or even pathologize, you know, like making you it know, a pathology. pathology. Yeah, totally. That, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge issue. I I'm think like, it can't well. be one or the other. It can't be, it's not a big <laughs> deal or it's a pathology. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Sometimes I point this out 
when I'm talking about this. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, puberty is a very challenging portal. It's a very challenging evolution. And I look, could we do, we can always improve how we're doing things, but I think we understand as a culture and as adults that this is a time that we really need to help support, educate, empower, and usher people through into the next phase. This is the same thing. Yeah, it's our second puberty, our second... A hundred percent. I call it the puberty of midlife. Yeah, and, and exactly. And it is so similar in so many ways. Blowing shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we, do, we do some of that. We do some acting out. Gonna, we need to do some of that. <laughs> well, I think that can be very important part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really reassessing. Defining boundaries is important, but I think we do a lot of that. When we come into our own, we are understanding ourselves differently and better hopefully, and deciding what we are willing to continue to participate in and not. And it can be a tremendous time of liberation and creativity. I agree. When I think about this, the second puberty, but it's a bigger game. We've got families, we've got communities that we're taking care of. We've got careers that, that light us up. There's just a lot more on the table. There's a lot more spinning plates that, that we've, we've got to consider. Like it's a different, you know, as, as a, as a young girl coming in into, you know, childbearing years, we've got our, we've got our mom, we've got our family, we've got people supporting us. And, and there's still more, there's still more to be learned. There's still, I think we could do a better job in educating our girls, but you know, you're coming onto the other side of it. And you know, now, now we're the ones holding the container. Correct. We're the ones holding space for everybody else. All the while, we've got to navigate this, like you said, often in like secrecy and in shame and yeah. in the not knowing what's coming, the unknown, because yeah. a lot of it's kind of just been shoved under the rug. Like we don't talk about that. Right. Right. Even for those who are brave enough to ask, a lot of times they don't really get any information. And I think, I mean, I, I don't just think it, I know it. There's there's data to prove that we don't have enough people who are educated in helping us get through it. Even in medical education, it's been very well documented that a, a large percentage, like 75 or 80% of OBGYN residents don't feel confident coming out of residency to help people get through menopause. And, you know, listen, I don't want to uh, disparage Or they can't even education. distinguish between perimenopause and menopause. But so they don't, often, they haven't been trained in it. They yeah, don't know what no, it is. Yeah, yeah, they don't know. <laughs> they don't so even know what's the women thing. come in and they're like, am I, what's going on? And and there's no, there's no answer. Oh, it's, oh, it's just aging or, you know, maybe we can give you some right. birth control. Right, exactly. I mean, and here's the thing. The issue there becomes, look, if you've got four years to train people in a specialty, a surgical specialty and obstetrics also, whoa, clinic medicine and well women care does not get addressed fully and wholly. And here's another thing that I think is very important for all of us who practice any kind of medicine, humility. One of, the, one of my secret weapons my entire career has been, I don't know, let's figure that out. How could I possibly know everything? I'm a much better doctor because I know I don't know everything. And has it harmed my career? Hell no. People appreciate and respect that I'm being honest. And I've learned a lot of what I do by myself or seeking the information, or being introduced to it by patients. And that has been super powerful for me as a tool as well. Again, understanding that as a tribe, we help each other. I have, a, I have some skills, I have some knowledge, and I have some talents. So, but it's not, it's weird to be so embedded in the patriarchy and so apart from it. And the older I get, the more aware I am of like my witch status, okay? So a patient literally said this to me yesterday, patient who I've known for like 20 years, 
delivered both her kids. She's now in her late forties. We know each other. We've been together through all of these things. And she said to me, well, you're a witch. (laughs) The way that you were able to, to manifest your powers and skills in this life, in this world, I'm just going there with you right now. Okay. I love this. Um, Was, was to just to be a doctor, but you're really a witch. And I was like, well, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. There was another, a past life, multiple past lives, right? Where where you were ultimately, you were definitely a healer in every single one of those. I I feel strongly that I was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I loved about, you know, if you didn't know the key word that I loved there in that sentence was let's, let's. You and me together, let's. That's, that's that's what we want. That's what we're looking for when we're we're on this journey together. You know, yeah. as a doctor who's like, let's figure let's figure this out. I'm with you. I got right. you. Like we're gonna work right. through this. We're gonna figure it out. And you know, when you th- when you're thinking about menopause and you were thinking about writing this book, what were some of the key things that you really wanted women to know? And I know that there's facts and there's the definitions and there's a lot of us who are still confused well, about Well, but that it. was part of it because mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to lay out and be very clear about what this actually is, what you might be hearing, why I agree or don't agree with certain things that are going on out there and be very clear about who I am in all of this because it's impossible to remove yourself from the conversation. And I think when we try to set ourselves above there's a really big difference between, you know, authority and authoritarianism, let's say. Like, I am an authority in certain areas, but I am not here to make you do anything. Again, this is a physiologic experience. So that the, the main thing for me was to also lay out my really deep and wide toolkit because I have been very curious throughout my career, throughout my life, and have really delved deeply into more than one way to do things and critically trying to assess that. I wanted to share that because I do find that sometimes in this space, there can be a lot of finger wagging about this is the way to do it from all sides, by the way. And that is really unfair to all of us because we are individuals and we are going to do this a little bit differently and we have different priorities. And so I think helping to craft the questions that I want people to be asking themselves about what they're looking for, bringing that to their care team. And then giving them a toolkit that's a little deeper and wider than they may get in one or the other arena. Because I have this integrative background, I have the conventional Western, I have Ayurveda, I have herbalism, I grow my own plant medicine in my home. I wanted to really share that. And that to me is the gift of you really is what is beautiful and exciting for me to help you figure out where do you want to go and also understand that it's going to change over time. I say this all the time when people come in, especially in perimenopause early on. Listen, what we're going to do today is what we're going to do today. I have a couple of rules, okay? I won't do too many things at once. It's overwhelming and they're not going to do any of it, okay? That's just how that works. When someone comes in and opens the bag of 40 different things that they're taking, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) wow. Okay, so let's try to figure this out, right? So I'm I'm not that person. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to help you prioritize, right? Okay, we're going to try this right now. And this may work great for the next three years. It also may not work at all. So we're going to keep in conversation because you're changing, you know, things are evolving. How do we really learn how to go with the flow? It's one thing to say that. And it's another thing to help create, like you said, a container where people can flow. So I really strive to do that. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah, I always think of it as our bodies, the physiology, our mental mindset around it, all of it is shifting and changing. Who we are becoming is shifting and changing as we're moving through this passage of life. I would love to, one of the things that you just mentioned was some of the questions, not only questions to practitioners, but also maybe questions we should be asking ourselves as we move through this. Are there some specific questions that always just come up for you that are just like, yeah, that's, that's the one we should get more clarity on, or we should be thinking about I think usually what I try to do with people when they first come in and we're addressing what's happening with them is sort of get what are the real symptoms that are really disruptive. This is what I tell people. There are things that are going to change, but there are things that are going to be bothersome. If we, if I can educate you on what is common, physiologic, normal, likely to pass, and it's not bothering you, we don't actually have to do anything about that. It's something that's persistent and disruptive. Now, there's also the bigger picture items like people may understand that sexual health issues can be early warning signs for, you know, cardiovascular health. Just educating women that the number one killer of women is not breast cancer. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I'm not not here to crap on breast cancer. I have it. I had it. I don't have it now. But the fact is most breast cancer survivors are going to die of heart disease. (laughs) So just like... Some of that basic stuff is I want people to come away with, but I always try to help them prioritize, okay, what is the thing that's really bugging you? And I'm going to tell you something. When a lot of times we wind back, it's sleep because cognition, weight, mood, if we don't get the sleep under control, we're really not going to be able to fully impact the rest of it. Sleep can be one of the most thorny issues that we have to deal with. It is dealable. And I think some of it is changing the way we conceptualize how we're going to sleep. Some of it is really committing to doing the things that we already, people walk in, they know sleep hygiene is a thing. They know they need to put their screens away. Are they doing it? No. They know they need to eat three hours before, exactly. maybe not drink a half a bottle of wine, you know, these, these things. They know those things. Know. And I'm, I'm usually not telling them something they didn't know. Mm-hmm. But having another person saying that and then having some accountability, accountability. I'm going to have you to come back in three months. Um, And this is what the boot camp does for people too, is it creates these social networks where people can have accountability. I mean, there's, and you know, I'm like a data person. I'm sort of, I am a not, I really am. I'm I'm very like, I'm a nerdy doctor. There's so much data on accountability and on social connection and how critically important that is to our health outcomes. So just creating again, those opportunities to have the conversation help people understand. And that, you know, the thing is you're less overwhelmed. If you're like, oh my God, my checklist is 15 things long. There's no way nobody can help me with this. And then you're like, okay, wait, my homework is asleep. Let me just do it with the sleep first. The rest will happen. You know, just trying to break it down. Absolutely. So getting, and I agree that most disruptive, like what is the thing that day in and day out, it is impacting your social, your your conversations, your relationships, your work. It's messing with who you are as a person. I agree. hundred percent. The other thing that happens around this age group often is that the relationships are difficult Mm -hmm. and, and people are really coming to terms with the reality of their primary relationships and whether or not they can continue to tolerate them. That can be intense and that can be thorny, but it's also very, very powerful medicine, frankly. And honestly, look, the last two and a half years, people are traumatized. People are in crisis and they are exhausted. So I I had somebody in recently who reminded me that they had called me early in the pandemic and they were like, I don't know if I have COVID or if it's menopause. Or both. Is it both? <laughs> right. I was like, I don't know. It could be. Because menopause is a, is a journey. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Right. I know. But the beginning was like hot flashes, not sleeping, feeling anxious. I was like, well, it could be both. 
Could be, I don't know. Well, just deal with it, you know. But, you know, the truth is, it's just, it's like a funny joke, but it's not. We're all freaking exhausted. We've been like in a cortisol bath for two and a half years, which is not good for any of us. No, no, it's not. I mean, talk about that propensity for increased cardiovascular risk um, and metabolic dysfunction and really just a brain that doesn't work for us when we're constantly firing off that stress response system. Yeah, your frontal lobes shut down. I mean, we know like a, a kid in a tantrum cannot process, right? But that's kind of where that's like my in this son chronic earlier low today. Level fun. That was my plane ride here last night. That was great. And I, but but the cool thing is it wasn't my kid. <laughs> <laughs> my kid is down the hall and he's almost 25 and he doesn't do that anymore. Mine's, mine's 20 months. I'll be 43 oh. in a couple of days and just Happy right at the birthday. precipice. Thank you. Right, right, <laughs> right at the, the, um, the turning point, kind of where women start to be like, okay, what's going on here? That early stage of perimenopause. But yeah, oh, yeah. I, I protect sleep as so fiercely because at some point it will be disrupted in the evening and at night. It's just, it's a guarantee. Like, you know, it's yeah. so funny when you're at this age, you really can't take it for granted. Like I just cannot, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm trying to get my five hours before I'm waking up in the, somewhere in the middle of the night. Yeah. Somewhere in there. <laughs> right. But that's a hard one too. And I think that, and I'm not a sleep expert, but you know, the interesting story about sleep is we're starting to understand it a lot more. I mean, there's the whole, brainwaves thing, but there's also like some cultural notions that are a little bit off. Some of it is we've not kept pace evolutionarily with technology, right? So we weren't even designed to be up past dark. You know, like that's not, we're not supposed to do that. So our bodies are like, what are you doing? But there's also some interesting like evolutionary biology stuff on humans may have actually evolved to have like two sleep sessions, you know, like sundown to the middle of the night, wake up, maybe do some stuff, then go back to sleep. The problem is that the culture doesn't support it. So we just have to try to do the best we can and, and protecting our sleep is important. Totally. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, there's so many different measurables out there. One of the things I've been playing with is um, a, a continuous glucose monitor. And yes. when sleep is really, and I also have a whoop strap on that gives me a sleep score, which today Ooh. was 50%, not a great sleep score. Um, and I remember being so hesitant to get one because I was like, I don't want to see how bad the sleep situation is with my, with my toddler. But what I'll notice is when I have a bad sleep score, it'll correlate on the continuous glucose monitor. I am far less sensitive to insulin than I would be had I got great sleep. And I think yeah. you know, even metabolically, energetically, that cortisol awakening response is just not firing off when we aren't getting good sleep at night. And it all just continues to translate throughout the day. The other thing that I think people are starting to talk more about too is rest as opposed to sleep. I mean, sleep is obviously important. Sometimes we can't control it. You know, we have hormonal interruptions that are programmed age-related changes, some of which are not going to be managed by whether it's aromatherapy or hormone replacement, but vasopressin, okay, which as we age declines, it is basically the hormone that allows you to sleep through having to pee. That declines in aging people and there ain't nothing you can do about it. There's no vasopressin replacement therapy that I'm aware of. So, so the thing is resting, and I will tell you as somebody who is 56, going on 57 and very, very active and doing all these things, like resting is really important. So fitness is super, super important in my life. Resistance training, specifically weights, but active recovery. Yes. I don't go hard the way I used to, even five years ago or 10 years ago. I really can't. It's not good for me. And it's actually not good metabolically because you're going to increase your cortisol. You're going to decrease your, actually your insulin resistance is going to 
And you're going to hold on to it because your body is in fight or flight. It needs to rest. So I think this other idea, and I think it may take some pressure off of the sleep conundrum, which is to literally rest your body, which you can do with things like meditation, yoga, breath work, being outside, putting your feet up, literally just putting your feet up. We don't have to make it super fancy. We don't have to make it something that you have to have a lot of access. You have to spend a lot of money to do. I mean, I can teach you the easiest pranayama in the world. I can call it pranayama and make it fancy. It's not fancy. It's indigenous. You know, I I can make it accessible. Breathe in, hold for four. So breathe in for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. Okay. You do that in the middle of a Zoom meeting that's making you nuts or when your toddler is acting like a jerk. And it's not just like, it's not woo. It's not magic. It's science. It's science. It slows it's your regulating. heart rate down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's a homeostatic mechanism involved there. So the Rishis, if you want to connect to it this way, if it resonates that the Rishis spoke, taught, and wrote about this in Ayurveda, they're not the only ones 6,000 years ago. Cool. And if you are more of a data nerd and you want to look into the enormously important work of Harvard physician Herbert Benson in the early 70s, who documented oxygen saturation and blood pressure changes in meditators. So amazing. Like that stuff blows my mind. Like, cool, whatever works for you. The truth is it works. It's easy. Anybody can do it. Those are the kind of tools that I love and that are doable. And if you can't give yourself 90 seconds, you have a much bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. I agree. I want to speak into um, Ayurveda just a little bit more because I know that women are always looking for, looking for, like you said, you have a wide range of tools that we can really tie into or utilize, and it's going to be in the book. But I would love for you to speak to how does it increase healing options for your patients, for the women that you've taken care of? Like, what are some ways that we can begin to integrate Ayurvedic medicine into our own healing journey? Well, I mean, thank you for asking me about that. Ayurveda is near and dear to me. First of all, it's really interesting because classical Ayurveda doesn't have a lot to say about women's health for obvious reasons, right? I mean, like most of recorded medicine, the women's medicine, so to speak, is more oral tradition. I have some uh, wonderful teachers that I've been able to work with and, and learn from, and they're in the book. But the things from Ayurveda that I love are things like pranayama that I just shared. Yoga, which a lot of your uh, listeners and followers may not realize is actually a branch of Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the traditional uh, healing system that derived from the subcontinent of India, very similar to Chinese medicine. It probably grew up around the same time. Some differences, but a lot of similarities. Really, really fascinating. But it's a whole system health unit. So it includes movement practices like asana, yoga, breathing practices, it is unique to your individual constitution. So it can get a little unruly and difficult for people to understand because what I may uh, offer to you may not be what I offer to her. So without doing that deep dive, we can take some of the more basic practices that are healing that bring us back into our body, slow us down, that we know actually have a physiologic benefit and a scientific basis, as it turns out. It's funny to me that we need to prove all of that, but people have proven it. So we'll just we'll just say that and leave it there. Um, I love botanical medicine. I'm a big fan of botanical medicine and growing things. Not everybody's going to be able to grow their own plant medicine, but there are a lot of opportunities there. Ashwagandha has become very popular as an adaptogen out into in the world. And I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, from an Ayurvedic perspective, it's it's cherry picking, it's westernizing something from a system. However, there's a lot of benefit 
with that particular herb as an adaptogen, and particularly in perimenopause and menopause in terms of down-regulating and uh, up-regulating parasympathetic and down-regulating sympathetic control. So mood, energy, I think those are the areas I would look at best that have the best data. And then self-help practices, self-healing practices, I love Abhyanga. So traditional Abhyanga is two-person massage. Okay, it's amazing. If you could ever get it, you should do it. And it does do that same thing. It helps to uh, encourage parasympathetic, okay? It's uh, really nourishing. Most people aren't going to be able to lay there with two uh, body workers and oil and for four hours and cost you $700. However, you can take organic oil, put it into your shower. At the end of your shower, do a self-body massage. You got to be careful that you don't slip. Here's what it's going to do for you. And there are specific techniques, and I, I think I actually have it in the book. But again, 60 seconds, 30 seconds at the end of your shower, it's going to moisturize your skin, which you need. Because as Mm -hmm. we are having these shifting hormones, estrogen and collagen changes the way our skin is getting those nourishments, right? We have uh, vasoconstriction, we have less blood supply, less oxygen, less nutrition, and less collagen going to the skin. So it's going to moisturize the skin. It's going to encourage blood flow and stimulate. It's going to release oxytocin, which is a feel-good hormone. And it's going to make you feel good. And if you just gave yourself a little tiny gift, again, if you can't add that for less than a minute at the end of your shower, I have questions. So this is a way for us to adopt a modern healing technique into our daily practices. And just that act of self-love is such, is a political statement, frankly. You know, I could go on and on, but I love that one. That one's just, that's doable. There's no one who can't do that. You don't even need a shower. <laughs> You do it in front of a sink if you don't have a shower. It's nice to have that connected to that ritual. I always like to pair rituals to something you're already doing. We're yeah. all already showering, you know? Right, right. Um, Or we're at the sink at least right. twice a day. <laughs> right. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things like that that I love to share with people that are simple and adoptable. I'm very much about, you know, I've always been a bridge between the two worlds. Very early in my career, it became very clear to me that my role wasn't going to be to go out into the world and be an Ayurvedic practitioner. And I wasn't just going to be a surgeon or an obstetrician. And I was very fortunate to be in communities where I was accepted and loved. I taught, you know, at Cedar sinai Medical Center. I was asked, I'll never forget, I was asked to give a grand rounds by one of my mentors, who is a gynecologic oncologist. Okay. This woman is a well-renowned ovarian cancer surgeon. And she came to me and said, Suzanne, you're studying all this integrative stuff. Can you do a grand rounds for the department of OBGYN at Cedars? And I was like, whoa, I was like two or three years into my career, maybe six, I don't remember. And I was scared. (laughs) I was like, oh God, I got to come correct with these people, you know, slides and the whole thing. So I was able to speak medical about integrative. And in the Ayurvedic community, they were so welcoming to me as a Western physician. I'm so thirsty to hear what I had to say from my perspective. So I've been very, very fortunate and grateful to have mentors in those worlds. And it reminded me how important it is that we speak to each other, that we listen to each other, that we learn from each other. So that's what I want to do in the book. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm so excited. You know, I, I do believe that they are, we, we've got to bring them together. You know, we, we've got, to, like you said, we've got to have that. Br- women deserve the whole breadth of the toolkit. 
We really do because every single one of us is a, it is different. Uh, we're, we're in our own unique way. And so, and we're going to need a combination of the two. And we're going to need those tools that we can implement ourselves. Like you said, we, we can do these self-care pieces. We can create that sleep routine. We can work with somebody help, to help us optimize that, figure out what else there may be that is affecting our sleep. You know, I think it all, it all is designed to go together. Absolutely. That's how we help women the best is when they're feeling fully supported. That's also what's sustainable. If, if I'm offering you something that is not doable or sustainable, then really it's interesting, but it's not anything that's going to be very impactful. And if we hope to, as we said in the beginning of this conversation, impact the larger society by both allowing women to age in a way that is comfortable and embracing for them, but then the society is also benefiting from the wisdom of aging people. Of aging like, women. It, it, yeah. Yes, I mean, talk about amazing. Yeah. The sages, I just, we have so much to bring to the table. My goodness. I want to talk a little bit about the, the menopause transition. You know, are there some things, you know, in terms of, I know so many women are, they don't know what's happened. They're kind right. of dreading it. It's just not clear. They, they don't have a lot of intention around it. And that's yeah. my whole thing is like, let's have you decide. How do you want it to look? How do you want to feel on, uh, you know, in, in menopause? What would you love to be doing on that, you know, just as you step into this next beautiful transition? Um, and I think intention is so, so important. When you talk to women about having a more fulfilling transition in a menopause, is intention a part of it? Is it self-care that's a big piece of it? Is it really a mindset piece for us? That is such a great question. First of all, I love talking to women much younger than me about this. And I love that you have so much knowledge and so much passion around it well before you're there because you will be able to come into that transition with an intention. I think a lot of what I've done in my career is dealing with women who are well in the middle of it already and just completely uh, sidelined uh, in life because of it, because it has harmed them actually to not have the information I mean, my dream is for people to enter into it with an intention. And I think also to have flexibility because that intention may evolve. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I love the idea. I think if the intention is to, here's what I think the intention for me is. And again, you get to choose your intention, mm -hmm. but the intention for me is to be embodied. In other words, to be present, to be in my body, in that experience, understanding that I won't always like it, or I won't always actually be there because we spend a huge amount of time dissociating. Yeah, we do. I mean, some it's more than others. <laughs> correct. And it's, and we don't even realize we're doing it. We don't even realize we're doing it. I will give you a very small example. We were creating content for online, right? So my partner, who's my life partner, does the fitness stuff. He's an amazing, he has a very mind body approach to his fitness. He's a former professional bodybuilder, super knowledgeable. He's been doing this for 40 years. And he demonstrated a stretch that he likes to do, the lunge stretch. And I remember doing that very early on, how hard it was and how much core strength it took. So when I did it, I thought, oh, this is going to look hilarious, which is fine because it's like everybody, you know, it's not going to look the way Greg does it. It's going to look the way Suzanne does it. And I did it and I surprised myself. I was like, oh, look at how much stronger I've gotten. Look at me. Look at me, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting because one of the main things that I love about how we approach that part of it, he always talks about how you have to visualize what you want it to look like when you're doing it. Mm. Now, it may not look that way ever, 
or it may not look like that until it looks like that. But you you are fully in the movement, not let me just get this over with. Let me power this lunge out real quick exactly. and then move foil, on to the next foil thing. my leg out. And, okay, I did it. You know, that's not what the movement is. And that to me is really critical, being in your body. So I love the idea of intention setting. And I think for me, I didn't necessarily realize what intention I was setting, but that has evolved as I get further and further into this process. If I want to appreciate who I am and love who I am and bring that love into the world, I need to be in my body and be okay with it. So what are the things that I need to do to be okay in it? And I think that is a real challenge that we can set up for ourselves as women in this culture where we really adopt so many ideas that are from outside of ourselves, not from inside of ourselves. So I love the idea of intention setting. I had not really thought about it that way before. So thank you for bringing it to my attention. I think I've been doing it without realizing it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, embodying, being fully present with yourself, you know, again, not disassociating, which I know, again, we do unconsciously all the time, but disassociating because you don't have the answers, you don't know what's going on. It's easier to just check out than really understand and really honor the process, honor your body as it's changing. Yeah, I watch my mom, you know, this isn't isn't even my mama's menopause that I'm going to go through. It's definitely not my grandma's because when my grandma went through menopause, they just gave her a tranquil. That's how they handled that situation. And it's heartbreaking. My mom will always remember when my grandmother came home and she was just not the same person. Um, And then my mama, you know, had a really challenging time during perimenopause and kind of came out on the other side and, and was like 50 is going to look a lot different than 40s. Like, I'm going to reclaim who I am. This is how wow. it's going to be. This is who I'm going to become. I'm going to become a competitive tennis player. I'm going to become a competitive marathon runner. I'm going to wow. wear Daisy Dukes. I'm going to have hair extensions. You know what I'm saying? And she just rocked it out and um, was fully just, she set that intention. She was like, this is how it's going to look for me. This is how I want my life. This is how I want to feel. I want to create community around these sports. She has amazing friends friends around Uh, these sports and she's running tomorrow. She's running 15 miles tomorrow with her girlfriend in Orange County and then coming to see us to be with her grandbaby. But like she revolutionized. I watched her transform. I watched her take ownership of it. And it was the most remarkable, most amazing thing I'd ever seen watching my mother in that transformation. What an amazing role model for you. I mean, that's so beautiful. It's, you know, it's really interesting. My, unfortunately I lost my mom Mm. about a year and a half, almost two years ago. And, um, she had a hysterectomy. This is very eighties, nineties bleeding, right? Because as we do bleeding, hysterectomy. And at that time they took everything out, ovaries and everything. And she was like late forties. And I mean, really robbed in so many ways, that generation that raised me was just talk about actively uh, gaslit and disassociated, you know, oh, wow. So, you know, we were having this conversation probably about three years ago. And I said to her, mom, I am still getting my period. What in the hell? Like I, and I said to her, I have no idea what to expect because you had a hysterectomy. She's like, oh, what are you talking about? Grandma E, her mom, Grandma E had her period till she was 55. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, you never asked, <laughs> you know? So I was like, you never asked, honey. So I wasn't going to tell you. But that was that generation too. That was was, that generation. That was my mom. (laughs) I will say that, you know, it was 
very painful for her. And I think it was more private. We didn't, there were a lot of other things going on that we didn't talk about. She fully emerged out of that also. She what became a world traveler all over the world, a totally new career, bought houses on her own, was an amazing grandmother, an incredible homemaker. And I think that the message is we are very resilient and change can be hard. Now, does it need to be as hard as it has been? No. When we are supported, we can get through hard things. And there's something so much more interesting potentially, or not more interesting, just as interesting at the other end of it. But if we don't have the information, the support, and the tools, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Not everybody is as resilient, okay? Not everybody is as resilient as me and you. We have tools. We have support. Not everybody has that. And when you don't have it personally and you don't have it culturally, it's just not fair. It's not fair at all. So I'm, I'm very much about justice. I am too. We talk a lot about that on this show. Absolutely. And this has been such a beautiful conversation and I cannot wait to get my hands on your book coming out October 11th. We're, this is going to come out literally when the book comes out. So we're going to, we're going to make that happen. And I'm going to have the link to um, the book directly. Is it, uh, would you like me to link to, we can send it to Amazon. We can send it to a website. What would you love? We'll send you whatever the best. I mean, Amazon's always the easiest. There's can be issues with that, but whatever. I want to make this easy for people. And I think getting to my website gets them to all the social, gets them to the links, gets them to everything. So I will be looking forward to seeing everybody there. And thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I love talking to you. Mm, Me too. Thank you. And have an amazing weekend. (laughs) Yes, you too. Now, I don't know about you, but I am fully ready to embrace every single phase in my life, including perimenopause and menopause. Like sign me up. Here's the thing. I'm already signed up. We're all already signed up, right? These are inevitable. We're going through it. It's literally how we want to treat that adventure, treat that journey that's really going to define who we become. And in a lot of ways, I know that it is the best of your years to come, especially when you nourish your body and commit to self-care. And if you agree with me and you want a guide on your journey, I highly recommend checking out Dr. Suzanne's book, Menopause Bootcamp. Now, we address the whole menopause bootcamp piece, right? Because when you think about bootcamp, you think about the, the hardcore classes that you see in the park or at the gym. But it's a reframe of what you can do to really get yourself ready to enter into that next beautiful phase in life. Now, her book is so perfect for this conversation, for this transition. Um, And it's a great companion to my book, The EO Menopause Solution. Both offer an integrative approach that will get you the results that you desire. Now to grab Dr. Suzanne's book, The Menopause Bootcamp, it's gonna be in the show notes, or you can head over to Amazon and pre-order it literally today. I'll also have the link for my Hormone Relief Summit and the bonuses also be in the show notes for you to go and grab. So definitely head on over there, get all the goodies, get set up, and, um, and have an amazing day. Also, thank you so much for listening in to the Essentially You podcast. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel the very best in your body. Now, if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this, that needs to go to the summit, holler at them, send them a text message, a screenshot, share it on Instagram. And if you do share it on Instagram, hashtag hormone CEO. That way we continue to spread the word about hormone literacy and women's hormone health. Until the next episode, again, have an amazing day.